So, you know, uh, a couple months ago, I might have told you guys a little bit of this story, but I, I was in Peru, in South America. It was the first time I had ever been to South America, and I fell in love in Lima. We went to, uh, I went to a friend's church. This is so, such an amazing story. Uh, the Berrigers, and they are a phenomenal couple that 30 years ago, get this, my parents were hippies that got saved and then went to this church called Hope Chapel, a church that allowed the hippies to come off the beach with sand on their feet, with their surfboards, when that wasn't a thing, when people had to show up to church in a certain way, looking a certain way, acting a certain way. And uh, there was this pastor, Ralph Moore, who just opened up this church called Hope Chapel to invite people in. And my parents found themselves there. My mom was the first secretary at this church. Um, and the Berrigers were there, this couple that are down in Peru now. And how crazy is it that this church now has thousands of churches all over the planet? Isn't that crazy? My parents are at the small little beginning one. My mom was the first secretary. All these hippies were getting saved. And the Berrigers felt this call to be missionaries down in Peru. Now, Karen told me, Karen Berger, she told me, she goes, you know, because they're the same age as my mom and dad. She said, you know, I was really hoping that God would call us to the jungles of Peru. I'm like, what? Like she wanted to live with the tribes and, and just for the rest of her life do that. But then God said, no, I want you to build a church in Lima. And she was really mad about it. She's like, I don't want to build a church in the city. Like she's like, I want to be in the jungle. I'm like, wow, you are a real hippie. Um, and so anyway, they built this church in over 30 years of consistency and building. And what's amazing about them, they're this blonde white couple who moved there, stopped speaking English, immersed themselves in Spanish. Even when I was there, I had to have a translator while they were talking because they only speak Spanish. And um, my uh, translator um, didn't, didn't do worship. So during worship, there was no uh, translation, which is good because he couldn't sing. But um, he, was a great, he was a great translator. But over, over time, they had built this church where I walked into the atmosphere. And you know when you can feel an atmosphere? Now, some of you may say, I don't feel atmospheres. But you do feel atmospheres because you feel an atmosphere when you walk into a room and you know a group of people have been talking about you. Have you ever felt that atmosphere before? So don't tell me you can't feel an atmosphere. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I walked into this positive atmosphere, and during worship, oh my gosh, there were thousands. It was two conferences, women's conferences back-to-back, -back, and then I spoke at their, their church on Sunday. And, and thousands of women came together in this church that they had in a city where they rent a building just like us, you guys. So they're like, we could be kicked out tomorrow. So they, they get, like, the whole city thing. But thousands of people worshiping God in a palpable hunger. I, I, I haven't experienced something like that before because also it was all in Spanish. And like I said, my translator definitely wasn't translating. He's like, I'm going to do you a favor. You're just going to listen to the worship. And, you know, even though I didn't understand the words, I mean, I understood a few words like corazón, you know. I knew what that meant. Did, was that a good, good accent, guys? Liani, how did I do? No. <laughs> um, there were some words that I understood. But the thing that was so amazing is I wept through worship most of the time because you know when there are people that are worshiping in spirit and in truth it actually doesn't matter what the words are because spirit and truth are going out and connecting with the father and releasing something different have you ever been in an atmosphere like that and so it was interesting I got up to speak at this one particular um, session 
And my translator was amazing. I mean, she, so I had the guy that would do while they were speaking, but my translator who came up on the stage with me, I mean, she gave me a run for my money. If I moved like this, she moved like this. If I did, you know, if I did a crazy voice, she did a crazy, I was like, you are so much fun. You are so much fun. Like we had, it was just, it was the best. I, I haven't had a translator. I've spoken in Japan in different places before, but she was so much fun and ran right next to me. And There was this time where I got up after worship and God had given me multiple words of knowledge during worship. Now, if that's a new word for you, what a word of knowledge is, it's just while you're standing there in worship and really the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you. Sometimes you may feel pain in your body, like in your shoulders or your neck, and you know it's not yours. And you're like, God, is there something you want me to do? And there was just multiple things that he said to me. I want you to pray for healing, for cancer, for tumors, for all of these different things, for arthritis. And there was this whole list. So I ended up getting on the stage and told my translator, we went through this whole list of things. I said, the power of God is present to heal and you guys are hungry and so we end up getting to this place and I said if that's you I want you to raise your hand and I kid you not when I asked people to raise their hand 80% of the room raised their hand and I looked at my translator and I said did you translate that right and we're having a little moment she's like yes I did you know I translated it right I said so well just ask one more time 80% of the room. So I said, okay, we're going to pray. I get them all to stand up and activate them to pray for one another. And I start telling them how to pray. And then, and then the worship team just started to to play. And if you know me, you know, I'm a frustrated worship leader. It's all I want to do. No, I'm kidding. It's not all I want to do. But um, the moment just started and worship was starting to rise and people were starting to sing. And then I found myself prophesying in song. And it was like the roof ripped off the place and there was a roar that, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm on my knees. We're all like, what are we supposed to do? She's weeping. I'm weeping. People are praying for each other. And then what ends up happening is I say, okay, at the end of the service, if you had any healing in your body whatsoever, I'm going to be down here, but I would love for you to tell someone. It doesn't have to be me. We need to testify the goodness of God and what he's done. And so what ends up happening is I'm standing here for probably a good hour after the service is over with my translator next to me and person after person coming up and weeping and throwing their arms around me going, my tumor is shrinking. And people saying, I've had arthritis in my body my whole life and it's gone and I'm like, what? Like I'm losing my mind. And sobbing, we're all sobbing together. And and oh my gosh, like at the end of it, I went home and I said, you know, God, I just want to know, how does that happen? How do, how do some atmospheres you step into? And Because we know we've all been in places and spaces where we have prayed for someone and there's not healing. I've been in that place where I prayed for someone and there's not healing. But then how come there are some times and spaces and places where those sorts of things happen? And all I hear the Spirit of God say about these people, the people of Camino de Vida, the people of this church, as he said, they are humble and hungry. They are humble and hungry. And you know, I want to talk about hunger and humility this morning. I want to talk about what hunger and humility brings into our lives when we invite it. When we live a repentant life on our knees, a surrendered life, when we turn from our ways and turn to God and remain in this humble place and hungry for more of him. Some of you are like, I'm physically hungry now. Thanks for talking about your green juice. I would actually like a green juice. I don't know where you're at right now as we're in the middle of 21 days of fasting and prayer. If some of you are like, what is she talking about? Or if you're watching on... Liberty Live, but you know what was so amazing? You know what I saw in action with Psalm 107? I just want to read this to you. Psalm 107, 1 through 3, and also verse 9, it says, Let everyone give all their praise and thanks to the Lord. Here's why. 
He's better than anyone could ever imagine. Yes, he's always loving and kind, and his faithful love never ends. So go ahead, let everyone know it. Tell the world how he broke through and delivered you from the power of darkness and has gathered us from all over the world. He has set us free to be his very own. Listen to this, verse 9, how he satisfies what? The souls of the thirsty ones. And he fills what? The hungry with all that is good. Thirsty, hungry. You know, I believe that a humble and hungry people will attract the presence of God and bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It is a simple recipe, but it's a little bit harder to live out in our day-to-day -day life if we're not paying attention. You know, Beth Moore, anyone ever heard of Beth Moore? She's getting sassy. Anyone notice her little sass is like going through the roof? I'm loving it. Um, but she posted this a couple of weeks ago. She said, our exuberant worship of God our get up out of the chair and lift our hands and raise our voices to heaven worship of God is an act of audacious defiance against the spirit of this present age, relentlessly, successfully, and daily indoctrinating us in a nauseating self-praise. Stand up and shout. No, but the, everyone's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's fine. Just read Beth Moore's quote later. Um, no. But I love this quote because what this is saying is even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't want to walk in humility and hunger, I choose something different. I choose to be hungry for God even when I don't feel it. I choose to stand up and shout and praise him in an act of defiance of the spirit of this age that is all about self and what I want right here, right now. Instead, I will stand up and reach out and cry out to the one who I want to be hungry for even when I'm not. Humble and hungry. So how do we live this out? How do we live like that? Well, two things that I'm going to share with you today, and then we're going to take some time. We're going to worship again. The team has prepared something for you because here's the deal. I don't want to just listen to a message like this. I think we need to do something with it. Yeah. And so the first thing is this, is that we imitate Christ's humility. We imitate Christ's humility. Isn't it good that we don't have to figure it out? We get to just follow Christ. We get to look to his life. How was he humble? He was and is our example of how to walk humbly on this earth in a city where the stronghold is pride. How do we come in a different spirit? How do we come in a different spirit and bring transformation? When we walk in humility, it baffles the mind of those that is around us because it is not a normal thing to do. I love the word of God because it has so many answers of the things that we're searching for. And Philippians 2 tells us how to follow Christ in his humility. Let's read this together. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll break it down. Therefore, if any of you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, do you love that? How Paul is always pleading. Okay, are you pumped? You're connected to Jesus. You got anything, anything. I don't care how much it is. Do you love how he pleads? And it's like, what about tenderness and compassion? What about, any, are you encouraged at all whatsoever? Then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing, not one thing, like you can't with a little bit of margin, like just a little bit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I'm sorry, what did, what did you say? I'm not going to read this part of the Bible. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> this is hard. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to read the same passage of Scripture, verses 3 through 5, just in the Passion Translation. I've just been reading in the NIV. I'm just going to read that again so you can see it another way. Sometimes it's good to have a couple of different versions so you can look at the depths of the way a Scripture comes out. Listen, listen to this. This is so, so confronting. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Anyone? Why is it so quiet? <laughs> For they will only harm your cherished unity. How many of you know that? That when your opinion has broken down unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Let his mindset become your motivation, which is what? Back to the NIV, verse 6. Who being in very nature God, he was God in the flesh on earth, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Who would be playing that card? It's like, I'm sorry, I'm God. I want to go first in line. Anyone? He's like, he doesn't use it to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that every name at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I love that he makes that clear too, not just on heaven and earth, but also under the earth, under the earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but does it sound like humility is going to cost us? It sounds like humility will cost us. To actually walk in humility has a cost. It will cost us our pride. It will cost us our nurtured opinions. Nurtured. We nurture them. Here's my opinion. Let me nurture you instead of the word of God and what you say. Anyone been there before? Nurtured opinions and ways of thinking, it will cost us our human recognition. Do you know what I find so interesting is that humility and identity go hand in hand. I want you to see this. Humility and identity go hand in hand. When we know who we are and whose we are, we don't need a hand clap or a pat on the back to validate our identity. We know we are sons and daughters. That's why when we're singing, I am a child of God, it's like it doesn't matter what you say, if you think I am or not, it doesn't validate. If I've been orphaned by spiritual fathers and mothers, it doesn't change that Father God says, no, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child of God. And so you look at Jesus' life. How how do we know that humility and identity go hand in hand? Think about when he washed the feet of his disciples, the lowest of the low job, the job that when you come into church and you're looking at where can I serve, you're like, I'll never do that one. He's like, well, that's the exact one I'll choose. Whatever it is, this is what Jesus did. He was wearing rabbi's clothing. And what does he do? It says that he took off his garment. He took off the thing that made the people know I am a rabbi. He took that off and he got on his knees and he washed the feet of his people because it went, it doesn't matter if I'm wearing an outfit that says I'm a rabbi, I know who I am. I am the son of God and therefore I can do any job. I can walk in humility. I will serve because I know who I am. I don't need you to tell me. I don't need an outfit to tell me. I don't need a job to tell me. I don't need a position to tell me. I don't need my pastor to tell me. I don't need my community group leader or my father or my mother to tell me because I am a child of God. So therefore, whether I wear the rabbi clothing or not, I know who I am. Humility and identity go hand in hand. 
And so how do we do this? Very quickly, because I want to leave time for the Holy Spirit to just minister to us and for us to take action, is the living free from pride-filled opinions part. I'm just going to break a couple of these things down in this passage of Scripture, but I would encourage you over this week to go back over Philippians 2. Maybe even read the whole um, letter of Philippians, because it's not that long, actually, so get the whole context of it. But living free from pride-filled opinions. If you ever met my dad or had a meeting with my dad or sat with my cute dad, What he does is he doesn't talk very much. He is a man of few words. And so you might be running your mouth, telling all these stories. I'm just talking from experience. And he just sits there with his arms crossed, with his cool Vietnam tats showing, and with his hair back in his ponytail. And and he just sits there and listens. And when he has something to say, he says it. Why? Because he's gone through the school of hard knocks, and he realizes that humility is not always having to talk or one-up or be above somebody else. But it's being there, I'm here to serve you, hear you, and speak when I only need to say something. And so humility is honestly knowing, because I know sometimes I would say stuff, my dad's like, I got opinions on that girl, why don't you shut your mouth? But what did he do? He waited and he only said what mattered because he wasn't about his pride-filled opinions when I was. He was about bringing something humbly and powerfully full of wisdom to change my heart and change my mind. Proverbs 28, 29, 8 through 9 says, Arrogant cynics love to pick fights. We're all thinking of that person who is someone else, not us, that does this. Arrogant cynics love to pick fights, but the humble and wise... Love to pursue peace. I'm just going to stop there right now. The humble and wise love to pursue peace. Love to pursue shalom. Do you know what shalom is? Say there is a broken down wall. It's when something is missing. May the shalom of heaven bring wholeness to you. May it bring wholeness again. Do you know that when we are trying to make peace, not give our pride-filled opinions to somebody else, wisdom is saying, I'm going to make peace with you, which is messy. Did you know that? Not keep the peace, not, not, not have a fight. Anyone grow up in a house where we don't fight, we sweep it under the carpet, we don't talk about this? That's not peace. We all know we feel anxiety because there's a lot of stuff under the carpet, right? Making peace is going after reconciliation. And I don't need my husband to hear all my sassy opinions. I need to know that we can make peace together, which means we have to reconcile, which means we are pursuing Christ in the center. We are humbling ourselves to have a conversation that will bring peace to the situation. Do you understand? There's a big difference here. I sometimes love to pick fights. Why? Because I'm arrogant and I want to be right. But when I walk in humility, I pursue peace and reconciliation in righteousness with God. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, it says. There's two words that stand out to me there. Allow, allow, and hide. Allow and hide. Okay, allowing something to hide in your heart is to let something happen. When you allow that there, you're letting that happen. It's an actual free will choice. When you have something where you're like, I wish people would notice me. I wish people would promote me. I wish people would see me. Do you see my gift? Do you see how good I am? Again, I wanna say to you, that's an identity problem. Because if you know who you are, you know God has your back and he will promote you when it's time to promote you or not. Or not. Oh my gosh. 
Because guess what? He knows the beginning from the end and he knows who you are and knows where you belong and knows your sphere of influence and the people you're meant to be with. So you can rest assured that it does not matter. But when you don't know who you are and you're wrestling with people patting you on the back and your pride-filled opinions and wanting people to see you and you allow self-promotion to hide in your heart, it festers and it becomes ugly. And then you start spouting things and saying things and tearing people down. Well, they're not as good as I am. I could do that better. And you know what? You know what we need? We need Daniels. We need Daniels to rise up that are humble and on their faces before the Lord, worshiping him only and giving their lives to him so that they can be promoted, so that the people will come to you and go, what is it about you? You are, you're so different. You smell different. You don't walk in pride. You don't walk in arrogance, but yet you keep getting promoted in the because you haven't allowed that self-promotion to hide in your heart. You actually want God to take you where you're meant to be. Don't allow it to hide in your heart. Look to the interests of others. <laughs> oh, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I live in New York. I live wherever I am when I'm watching this on Liberty Live. I can't do it. I can't look to the interests of others. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send all four of my children to your house this week, and then you will see what it is to look to the interests of others. Scott and E will also send their twins to you. And no, but seriously, do you know what having children, like getting married, seriously, it showed me how selfish I was. And then having children showed me how angry I was. And then you just realize, like, I, I, I want to sleep. And no, I can't sleep. Why? Because there are needs to be met. There are people that need things. And all I'm saying is, when it comes to the church, the body of Christ, your workplace, the people that you are called to serve, if you know who you are, you can't wait to look to the interests of others. You can't wait to lay your life down. You can't wait to say, Jaron Tess, I am sorry, I have been dragging the chain. How can I help build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with you? I don't know what you need to do or what that looks like, but a lot of times we're just like self-care. It's become our religion. Now listen to me. It matters that we take care of ourselves, and Jesus was an introverted extrovert, which means he ran to mountaintops alone to be away from people, to receive from God, to rest, to go on vacation away from the humans that were crazy. I'm not saying not to do that, but stop making self-care your religion that you forget about the interests of other people that God has put in your sphere of influence. Okay, praise the Lord. You may never come back to church again. I understand. Okay. Consider the example of Jesus. I've got to move on to the next one, but we've got to consider the example of Jesus. He did not make it easy for us. Thanks, Jesus. Oh, we're going to, I'm just going to die on a cross, you know, give my life. I'm God. He's like, follow me. We're like, what? Like, do we have to die? Or maybe, I don't know. Like, here's the deal. If we live a surrendered life, Jesus did not make it easy for us. Jesus did not play the, I'm the son of God card. And we're trying to find cards to play. We're trying to make our way. And he's like, I don't live like that. I don't play any cards. I don't make connections for my own sake. He goes, I'm Christ. And I could have played as many cards as I wanted, but I want you to consider my example and follow me. (laughs) Who loves church this morning? Okay. So, but again, why? Why could he live like that? His identity was intact. He knew who he was. He simply lacked human recognition, yet still walked the earth knowing who he was. So humility. Go read Philippians 2 this week and challenge yourself and go, God, where am I not humbling myself on a daily basis? Because we all have to do it daily, don't we? The second thing is this. And then we're going to just begin to worship 
is receive the bread of life daily. Receive the bread of life daily. We receive a lot of other things daily besides the bread of life. Communion is not a once a month thing that we do in church. Communion is a daily thing that we choose. We choose to receive the bread of life. I would encourage you as well to go and read John chapter 6 because I'm going to quickly break it down and read just a portion of it to you. But the whole of John chapter 6 is about bread. It's about food. It's about a hungry people. Jesus is feeding the 5,000 and there's this moment where he's been teaching all day and he shows up and, and he looks to Philip and he says, hey, Philip, we need to feed all of these guys. What do you think we should do? And Philip is like the disciple who's like a little bit like cynical, like, oh yeah, Jesus. Yeah, because we have thousands of dollars to feed them. What a dumb question, Jesus. Anyway, been that disciple before um and then you have the other disciple andrew a peter's brother who's like well i see a guy with five barley loaves and two fish can you imagine the dynamic between them they're probably looking at each other and he's like i hate you why do you have to be so positive all the time oh yeah five barley loaves and two fish are gonna feed everyone you know so relational dynamics just read the gospels it's hilarious that how the disciples loved each other very well and had very different personalities there is room for us all at the table thank god and so then what ends up happening is Jesus takes the barley loaves and the fish and he thanks God for it and then it begins to multiply. Now, I, I'm, this is not the message, but think about it. Literally, they go from lack to more than enough all because of gratitude. Oh, that's a word for someone in this room. You are in a place of lack inside of yourself because you are not grateful for what you already have. So if you want to go from lack to abundance, just start to get grateful and see what happens in your life. So then there's 12 baskets of leftovers. I love it. Enough for each disciple to take one on the boat when they start to go across because what ends up happening is everyone's like, oh my gosh, the prophecies are true. This is the guy. We should make him king by force. That's what it says. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to make him king by force, what does he do? He runs away from the crazy people and goes up the mountain. He's like, bye. And he goes up is on the mountain, he's waiting. The disciples are like, we got all this leftovers and we're supposed to go to Capernaum and Jesus is gone. Can you imagine him as your, some of you are mad at your leaders for not showing up on time. They're just like getting away from the people, so calm down. And uh, <laughs> so Jesus doesn't show up, so like, fine, I guess we'll just go, go on mission. They go across to Capernaum and then Jesus, you know, walks on the water and has to, they're like, ah! and he says, don't worry, you know who I am. Gets in the boat, goes to the other side the next morning. These people who were satiated by the bread of life, the one, they watched him perform this miracle. And of course, what they do is they think earthly concept. Let's make him a king by force. They go looking for him the next day. He wasn't where he was, so they find out he's in Capernaum and they all go across and listen to what takes place. John 6, 25 through 35. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of how you are constantly looking to God's hand to satiate your need instead of who he is to fill your every need. Listen to this, John 6, 25 through 35. And after I finish reading the scripture, we'll get the team up and we'll begin to roll. John 6, 25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, how did, when did you get here? And then he doesn't answer their question. Do you love it when you ask Jesus a question and he doesn't answer it the way you want him to? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. How many of you know you're like, God did something for me. I want more of that, more, 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 right? We do the same thing. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, well, 
What must we do, what do works to do that God requires? What must we do to do the works God requires? Do you see that? What did Jesus do when he fed them? Did he say, do a little dance, jump up and down 10 times. I need you to do these works, like dance like this, and then I will give you food. No, he said, sit down and receive. And they're like, yeah, sit, sit and receive. Right, right. That's really neat, receive. Um, but what works do we have to do? Like what 10 things do we have to do to receive you and all of this stuff? That's what we do in our relationship with Christ as well. He's like, just sit and receive from me. We're like, yeah, but I need to move. I need to dance. I need to do something. I have to be active. He's like, sit down. Sit down, New Yorker. Receive. Sit down and receive. Jesus answered them. Um, he said, Jesus answered, the word of God this is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Believe. Belief. Believe that God actually sent him to you to supply your every need. Just belief. That's it. That's all you need. And then guess what they say? So they asked him, well, what sign then? <laughs> I know you said believe, but can you do like another, woo? Like, can you show us another sign? This is too simple to just believe, receive, sit down. That's too simple. He says, what sign will you give us that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you understand that even the manna, the manna was a sign. It was pointing towards Christ. Manna from heaven. Manna meant, what is it? But manna was given from God to the people as a sign of the bread of life to come. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, oh, they're starting to get it. And then they say, sir, they said, always give us this bread. And how many of us hear a good word like that? They're like, please give that to me. I need that. I want it so bad right now. And then Jesus declares, they're still thinking it's something else. Is it like manna? Is it going to look like the barley loaves, maybe the fish? And he's like, then Jesus declared, I, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The team can come. They were looking to Jesus' hand for another miracle that would satiate a physical need when the bread of life stood before them to fulfill every need, body, soul, and spirit. You know, my dog, we got a dog. She's super snobby. She's really cute. She's like super sweet, but snobby when it comes to food. And, you know, she's a dog. I'm aware of this. We had her nice food. It's not like expensive food, but it's good food. And first she was eating it. But then I found out that my parents, before they moved to California, were pouring bacon grease on her food. Thanks, Mom and Dad. If you're watching, thanks. Because now, guess who will not eat her dry food? She used to eat it, but she's tasted bacon grease. She is never going back. You know, it's funny, is this Christmas, we had a leg of lamb. When I lived in Australia, I would do a lamb roast, a leg of lamb roast every single week. It was part of just family tradition. And so for Christmas this year, I was like, let's do a bone-in leg of lamb for Christmas. And I realized while I was writing this message, I realized I still have that, I have just like a little bit of meat left on it. I shaved it off and I left it outside for Sydney, for our dog. And she comes and walks up and I watch her walk up to it. She looks to the left, she looks to the right, like, is anybody going to take this from me? Goes down and takes it. The whole day, she would not let it go. She would run places with it in her mouth. I'm like, like, put it down. She would not. I'm like, give it to me. She would not let it go. She took all of the meat, all of the sinew, everything off of that thing. She was a dog with a bone. 
Why? Because when you taste something good, the real thing, you don't want something else. And when we understand that the bread of life is the one thing that satiates our every need, we want to receive the bread of life daily. We don't want to receive something else. That's why fasting is so powerful because we begin to understand how he fulfills our every need. Whether we get tangible things on this earth or not that we thought we needed, he really is actually all that we need. He really is. So here's what we're going to do. Because I am so aware that we live in, you guys can come stand with me. I am so aware that we live in a world that is desperate and hungry for the real thing. Have you ever watched how uh, your friends that don't know Jesus, how they're looking for a hit that will satisfy them? And your heart breaks because you're like, I know what satisfies. But what breaks my heart even more is when the church does the same thing. Because I'm like, we know, we've tasted and we've seen. So here's what we're gonna do. While I was writing this message, my friend Stella Reed from the Dream Center, literally Sydney's walking around with, with her bone and Stella sends me this song. She's like, I've been weeping all morning. I'm like, crap, now I'm weeping. And I'm like trying to do this, but this is a song of repentance and apology to God. And what we're gonna do, I want you to go ahead and stay seated if you want to. I'm actually gonna allow JR to begin to direct this in a moment because I wanna stay here all day, but I'm gonna go bring this to Bay Ridge as well. But listen, see, we have communion that's gonna be here. Go ahead, host, you can come and set it out however you want to as well. And let me tell you what we're gonna do. We are going to look at me. We're gonna reflect on where we're at right now. Not stuck in the past, not freaked out about the future right now. Where are you at? And then we're gonna repent. Repentance is turning from our ways and being genuinely sorry and repentant before God is saying, God, I'm sorry that I've satisfied my needs by multiple other things besides you. And then we're gonna receive the bread of life. So we just, we'll have team that are standing here. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Actually, let's stand together. Cause some of you may need to move out into the aisles. You may wanna come down here on the floor and get on your knees. Repentance, sometimes the most powerful, look at me, sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is a posture of surrender and humility. Some of you are like, that's embarrassing. I don't really care. I'm not gonna tell you to do it. You don't have to, because this is between you and God. And I will make myself a fool for him any day because he has rescued me. He has saved me, he has healed my body, restored my family. He has fixed my marriage when I didn't know if it could be. And he has and made it better than it ever could be. So as we worship and sing this song, press out into the aisles, get on your knees if you have to. Liberty Live in your living room while you're watching, do the same thing. And then whenever you feel ready, come and receive the bread of life and thank him for how good he is. Amen.